Welcome to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin Solomon, Senior Rabbi of Congregation Beth Hillel in Roswell, Georgia. Beth Hillel is one of the largest Messianic Jewish synagogues in the world and provides a place where Jewish people can find the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus in Hebrew, and retain their Jewishness. It's also where Gentiles worship and embrace the roots of the faith in drawing closer to God. Click the link in the description to support this ministry or to view our YouTube channel. Let's join Rabbi Kevin now as he shares this word from Scripture. I have to tell you, uh, when, you're, when you're writing messages like kind of nonstop, which is the high holy day season for rabbis, of course, uh, wow, you, you know, sometimes you just, wow, you're, the moment you finish one, you're, you're already kind of gearing up for the next one. That's kind of how the holidays work a little bit uh, and in the, the best of ways. But I got to tell you, there's something, uh, there's something blessed about, uh, about, I think, what the Lord has for us even today on this Sukkot. I wanted to bless you because, you know, as I reflect on the holidays, I, I, all the holidays are symbolic, and all the holidays point to Yeshua. But wow, I, I think that Passover and Sukkot, oh, I don't know, man, Yom Kippur, it seems like they all point to Yeshua so clear. We're going to be talking about that today. And we're going to be just kind of seeing and understanding. We're going to dig deep here today. I want you to tune in. If you're watching on the internet or if you are here, I want you to be blessed. Let's start with Deuteronomy, please. Sukkot is so special. I love it. Get ready. You're about to, to hear and see some amazing things. Some things that Yoel has been alluding to a little bit earlier in our service. You let the Lord speak to you and touch you as he reveals himself to you. I'm telling you guys, today is a... Uh, this is a message and this is a word and this is a holiday that if you really get it, if you open your ears spiritually to receive what God has for you, it will be revelatory to you how clear it is in the scripture, all the symbolism that's within Sukkot. And I'm just really touching just a small taste of it. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 15 says this. This is talking about Sukkot. <clears throat> it says, seven days you will feast to Adonai your God in the place he chooses, because Adonai your God will bless you in all, you, in all your produce, so it has to do with fruit, right? And in all the work of your hands, and you will be completely filled with joy. Three times a year all your males will appear before Adonai your God in the place he chooses. At the feast of Matzah, at the feast of Shavuot, and at the feast of Sukkot. No one should appear before Adonai empty-handed. The gift of each man's hand according to the blessing Adonai your God has given you. Okay, wow, powerful, friends. So we read that on Sukkot, and particularly, my friends, we should be filled with simcha, b'simcha, with joy. We should have lots of joy. And, and not just because we made it through Yom Kippur, <laughs> although in part. Hey, listen, we have our atonement, and also we have our harvest. 
Oh boy, it reminds me, uh, uh, Miati did such a wonderful job on the, the candles and the Shehekian. It reminds me of the Shehekianu, right? Uh, of of that the Lord has allowed us to reach this season. Thank you, God, in the midst of a pandemic that you've allowed us to reach this season and to be here at Congregation Bethel or watching online. Be alive to see this season and to receive and, and to harvest. Most of you here today uh, look like you ate today. <laughs> is, is that wrong to say? I don't know. Look, I look like I ate more than once today, I'm sure. If you did not get a chance to eat today, see, see me after the service. We have a food pantry. We'll be happy to give you some food. The point is that God has given us a harvest. Amen? Has God given you a harvest? If so, say amen. amen. He has given us a harvest, and therefore we are filled with joy. And it is a pilgrimage festival, as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 16, to Jerusalem. And it is to be immense joy. But so much of Sukkot, wow, we're going we're gonna to see this. Oh boy, I, I'm, I'm excited about it. So much of Sukkot is focused on Jerusalem and the temple. So much, if you understand the intricacies of Sukkot, you'll, you'll, you'll really, uh, it's revelatory. It's focused so much on Jerusalem and the temple itself. You may have noticed, I assume that you've noticed, the, the stage looks a little bit different today. Well, behind me we have, of course, the temple. This is the temple. Wow, it's absolutely stunning and beautiful. And, and, and this, and this <laughs> artwork, if you will, of the temple, I got, uh, I, I got that a couple of years ago in the old city, uh, Jerusalem, and I purchased it at, at a location that's right in sight of the Temple Mount uh, at the Temple Institute. A number of you have probably heard of the Temple Institute, of course. You can look them up online. They're a group. They're a group whose focus is producing objects and instruments needed for the third temple, which is to come. And if you've been to Israel with me, oftentimes I'll take you to the Temple Institute. Uh, where we've been. You remember that, y'all? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's really amazing when you go to the Temple Institute, which the location is inside of the Temple Mount. I mean, it's like right there. And, and, and you walk through and, and you, you look in each room and you look at some of the objects that they're, they've already now molded and recreated for usage in the Third Temple. A lot of the things that are needed, they've already made. It's, it's really remarkable and beautiful. And, and, and that is where this particular thing came from. And what it is, actually, is it's a panel for a sukkah wall. That's, that's what it was made for. In fact, uh, at the bottom right here, it says, written uh, in Hebrew, Sukkot Yerushalayim. Okay, this is, this is for a sukkah. It's, it's like for a, a wall of a sukkah. When I saw it, I'm like, my gosh, that is just stunning. That is so beautiful. The temple and, and the altar and the, and the smoke going up to heaven. And, uh, and, and you can see uh, all the amazing things in it. Uh, the, 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 the Levitical uh, uh, singers uh, with the trumpets as they're, as they're trumpeting uh, and, and, and celebrating God. And, and the Levitical choir as they're singing and people worshiping as, as they're nearing into, of course, the temple itself. Right here in all the courtyards, some people on their faces. It's absolutely beautiful 
for sure. But there's a very strong connection to the temple during a Sukkot, but why? Why is there this connection? I want to let's talk about this because Mmm, it's got some depth to it. Get ready. There are a number of reasons we're going to do some digging today. Leviticus chapter 23. Okay, so we know from the Bible that there are a couple of purposes for Sukkot. One, of course, is the final harvest celebration. As we just read in Deuteronomy, in particular, it's the harvest festival for fruits, and as a side note, I'll go ahead and give you a, uh, a preview. Uh, our, 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 uh, for Rosh Hashanah, our apple-flavored honey sticks, straws, were so popular that, that I said, Daryl, let's look at this. And, and we found that the company makes these honey sticks with a whole bunch of different fruit flavors, different fruit flavors. And so for those of you who are here today, on your way out up the stairs, you're going to see a plethora Yes, yes, yes. Be happy. A plethora of these honey sticks, like these straws of honey, that are flavored in a whole bunch of different kinds of fruits. Some pomegranate, some apple, some this, that, cranberry. I don't know. There's a lots of different. And so you can take one of those on your way out and crack that and just kind of drink it right up, that honey. It's delicious. Or you can take it home and add it to your tea or, or whatever you'd like. Okay, well, why do we do this in part? Because Sukkot is the season, the harvest festival for fruit. Okay, that's the kind of the final harvesting thing that comes about is fruit. And so we're celebrating our harvest. But in whatever form or fashion, we celebrate that God has given us a harvest. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your harvest. That's part of what Sukkot is all about. But also, we read in Leviticus something else. Chapter 23, verse 41. It says, You were to celebrate it as a festival to Adonai for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever, forever, hello, throughout your generations. And you were to celebrate it in the seventh month. You were to live in Sukkot, which is just simply the plural of Sukkah, Sukkah. You are to live in Sukkot for seven days. All the native-born Israels are to live in Sukkot so, so, so that your generations may know that I had B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, to dwell in Sukkot when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am Adonai your God. Okay, so we're to remember that God had us live in Sukkot when he brought us up out of Egypt. And we remember that it was on this journey out of Egypt that God gave us the law and specifically the tabernacle, which would eventually become the temple. This is what God gave us, right? So we're, we're to remember, Sukkot is in part, right, David? It's remembering how God took us up out of Egypt and sustained us, and we lived in these temporary dwellings, these booths, called Sukkot, or in singular would be Sukkah. So we, we, we dwelt in these, but it was during this time, and it's always traditional during Sukkot to focus on the, the time after the Exodus and before we entered into the Promised Land. And, and, and as part of that, as part of that journey of the children of Israel was when God gave us the Torah, Mount Sinai, as you know, and of course the tabernacle, which housed the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy of Holies, and the tabernacle was what? It was really a sukkah for the temple. 
because it was a temporary dwelling because the, the tabernacle initially was built and it could be moved when, it, when God said move and the cloud moved, so to speak. We, we, the, the children of Israel moved and then they had to pick up and there were lots of directions in the scriptures as to how exactly the tabernacle was to be picked up and moved. It housed, remember, it housed the, the, the Ark of the Covenant uh, in addition to the other things, the table of showbread, the menorah, the, the altar, of course, where sacrifices were to be met. It had different courtyards, different places in it. It had the, the courtyard, the, the holy place. And then in, this, in, the, in the very back of the temple, of course, was the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat was and the presence of God rested and dwelt there. Very, very, very powerful here. And so this is what the tabernacle was. And the, and the same principle applied to the, the temple in Jerusalem itself. First Kings chapter six, please. Let's go to First Kings chapter six. Because the purpose of, actually, let's keep your finger in First Kings six. Let's start in Exodus 25, Exodus 25. Because God gave Moses specific instructions on the building of the tabernacle. God gave Moses very exacting directions. As I just alluded to, verse 8 says this, Have them make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. You are to make it precisely according to everything that I show you. <clears throat> the patterns of the tabernacle and the patterns of all the furnishings within. Just so you must make it. Okay, so the purpose of the tabernacle and, and the temple, therefore, is made crystal clear in Exodus 25, y'all. You've heard about the tabernacle. You've heard about the temple. You know about it. You know some of the nuances of it. God says, you got to make it exactly as I'm telling you to make it. Very, very specific. The purpose is made crystal clear. Even the word for tabernacle itself, in Hebrew, the word is mishkan, has as its Hebrew root the exact same word used in verse Eight of Exodus chapter 25, to dwell. Even though the word tabernacle has as its root to dwell, the mishkan, the tabernacle, right? Has as its, as its root in Hebrew, that word is to dwell. There's a dwelling that's going on here. That's kind of the purpose of the tabernacle. Atonement is made, is made at the altar, yes, how and why and when? Because God is dwelling there. God is dwelling there with us. The purpose of the tabernacle, the purpose of the temple, was for God to dwell with the Jewish people. His presence was there right in the temple, right in the tabernacle, of course. Uh, and because of that, with the altar there, atonement was made. God's presence dwelt with us. I want you to understand the key symbolism of the temple and of the tabernacle is, was the Lord's presence dwelling with us. It says it explicitly in Exodus 25 that, that it is to dwell, so God says, so that I may dwell among them. And even the word tabernacle has its, its roots to dwell. And, and again, the same principle applied to the temple in Jerusalem itself. Once the tabernacle became the permanent temple, the temple of Solomon in this case, 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 11 says this, then the word of Adonai came to Solomon saying, as for this house which you are building, this is God talking to Solomon, 
As for this house which you are building, if you will walk in my statutes, execute my ordinances, and keep all my mitzvot by walking in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to your father David. I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. Amen. See, the place, this place, is where God said that he himself would dwell with us. God said he himself will dwell with us in this place. That's, a, that's an absolute wow, isn't it? God says, I will dwell with humankind. I will dwell with the children of Israel, B'nai Israel. Here, I'm going to dwell with them. It's just unbelievable to even conceptualize that the creator of the universe would have any distant desire to dwell with you and me. I mean, let's face it. We're not so easy to live with. <laughs> I've been to some of your houses. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh. We are not always easy to live with. And yet God wants to dwell with us here is what he said. See, now this is why so much of Sukkot, which is what? About the sukkah, this, 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 this tabernacle that we are, that we are building that we build here, why so much of Sukkot is focused around the temple, so much of it. We know from 1 Kings chapter 8 that Solomon's temple was dedicated when? During Sukkot. That's when it was dedicated. The Mishnah tells us that the people of Israel, what would they do? Is they would take their lulav and etrog, right? They would take this on Sukkot, all the people, in fact, it's said that, that oftentimes, even during Sukkot, when people left their homes for any reason, they'd take their lulav. They'd take their lulav and etra. You know, I guess they would just put it on their backpack or something. We don't know exactly how they carried it, but just, and that way, anytime where they were, they were with their friends, or whatever, they, they, they had their lulav and etra all during Sukkot, during the seven, eight days of Sukkot. But, but they would come to the temple, and, and it's beautiful as they would walk around the altar, waving their lulav and etrog. Waving their lulav and etrog as they went around the altar, right there in front of the temple. Absolutely beautiful. And what were they doing? They were, they were chanting, Ana Adonai Hoshiana. Ana Adonai Hoshiana. Answer us, O Lord. Save us. Ana Adonai Hoshiana. Ana Adonai Hoshiana. Man, you could just imagine thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of people all encircling the altar with, with the, the giant temple where the presence of God himself was resting and the people would all encircle the altar waving thousands and tens of thousands of lulavotes Ana Adonai Hoshiana, oh Lord, answer us, save us, oh Lord. Oh my gosh, what a scene. What a scene, absolutely amazing, breathtaking. And this, as a side note, is why a little bit earlier when Javi was, was here with the Torah scroll, when Yoel 
What did he do? He was, he was walking around as, as part of the Hillel Psalms that were, were read by the other Yoel. Why, why Yoel was, was encircling uh, our, our brother Javier. Uh, why? Because of this exact ceremony. It's, it was done to remind us of that ceremony. As we are turning to God, as we are asking for his help. Absolutely beautiful. It's interesting because historically, typically, non-Kohanim, okay, we're talking about the, the priests that are the descendants of Aaron, are, are the Kohanim. Typically, non-Kohanim were not allowed between the altar and, and the sanctuary. But this was suspended during Sukkot to allow the children of Israel, anybody, the children of Israel could come even closer. Any of the, the children of Israel could come as they walked around the altar. And so you gotta imagine for, for, the, for the Solomons of the world who were, were most likely Judah, okay? It's like, man, I typically couldn't come right here, you know, near here. I can't typically, but during Sukkot, Man, I can do it. You can imagine just how the, the, the children of Israel must have felt when they have their lulav and they're walking in space that they know they can't normally walk in. And, and they know that, man, the, God's presence itself is just like a few meters away from you. And you're walking, the Naoshiana, as you got your lulav, and whoo, the presence of God is right there. I mean, it gives me chills right now thinking about it. As you're, as you're right there beside the temple, it's absolutely amazing, beautiful. The people got closer to the presence of God than ever on Sukkot. You know about the, the famous uh, Nusuch Hamaim ceremony, the drawing of the water from the pool of Siloam, which happened, the, the water was, was drawn from the pool of Siloam, and, uh, which, which taking a look at from this direction would have been actually down that way, south, down, uh, the, down by the, the, towards the bottom of the city of David, the Pool of Siloam, which they've uncovered, the real Pool of Siloam, only about maybe 15 years ago. It's an amazing thing. Most of it's still buried, but they've excavated a little section of it. And, and, uh, and of course, the water was taken from that and poured out uh, on the altar uh, in the temple in, in, in an amazing ceremony, in an incredible celebration with tens and hundreds of thousands of people all, all along the path of the water as it came to, to help kind of cleanse the altar, if you will. Now, we're not commemorating the Nesuch ceremony today, but we will in years to come again. We've done that in the past. But this was the beautiful ceremony that Yeshua was referencing in the Brit Hadashan, John chapter 7, when Yeshua himself was celebrating Sukkot. Yeshua celebrated Sukkot? What? I never knew that. It's right there in the scriptures. In fact, it was part of this, this water libation ceremony where Yeshua said, come to me if you're thirsty and I will give you living waters. Rivers of living waters will flow from you. You see, th this was all connected to this whole Sukkot festival. Unless you understand Sukkot, you can't understand the fullness of what Yeshua did. And, and, and in Jerusalem, during Sukkot, there were four, these four giant colossal golden candelabras that were around 75 feet tall that would light up Jerusalem. I mean, they said that you could, you could see all over the city of Jerusalem, there was so much light poured out by these, these great candelabras. 
and people would crowd in and, and special seats above the courtyard were prepared. They, they, they would prepare these special seats all along the, 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 the outside of the courtyard for women and, and children to have a bird's eye view of everything going on in the center as well. And at least every seven years, the Torah was read aloud in the courtyard to everyone there. The Kohanim would blow their trumpets, as you can see right there. There was dancing, there was music, there was great celebration. You've read about, if you read the Brich about Rabbi Gamliel, the, the teacher of Rabbi Shaul, Paul the, the, the apostle, right? Paul the Shaliach. We, we know from historical Jewish records that the son of Gamliel was very famous, the son of Gamliel, was very famous on Sukkot. Why? Because as part of the celebration, he was known as, as a rabbi who could juggle seven torches. <laughs> he juggled seven. It was just great celebration. There was incredible joy to be in the presence of God. And all this was in celebration of God dwelling with us and remembering Sukkot. I want you to picture it a little bit here. Exodus 26. And so, a focus on the temple is understandably then to be expected on Sukkot. Because the tabernacle and the temple were times when God dwelt with us. When he tabernacled with us. And therefore, and understandably, our people yearn for the next temple. If you go to the Temple Institute, they are preparing and are, and are yearning for the day when the third temple will be built as we long for this dwelling together again with God, my traditional Jewish brothers and, and sisters. Of course, we know, we know about Yeshua, which I'll get to in just a minute, right? But this is why there's this connection with my Jewish people and Sukkot and the temple. There's this yearning to return to dwelling together. Does this, does this make sense? Am I making sense of so say amen? If no, say nothing. Well, you said nothing. I know you're supposed to say. Okay, it was complicated. Okay, I was, I was reading recently an article by a Moroccan rabbi who shared that the sukkah, both reminded us of and represented in part the Mishkan or the tabernacle, which makes a lot of sense because the, 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 the tabernacle itself, the Mishkan, was around during the time that the children of Israel were in booths. So again, the children of Israel were in booths and they were in these temporary dwellings that were movable all over Similarly, that which would become the temple was in a temporary tent that was, a mish, it was called the Mishkan, the tabernacle, that was moved all over when the children of Israel moved, and that's where God's presence was. So that was like, if you will, if we dwelt in our sukkah, and that's where we dwelt during the, the 40 years, God dwelt in his sukkah. His sukkah was the tabernacle. That was his temporary dwelling, right, during this time. And so this, this Moroccan rabbi, I was reading a very, very interesting article that really resonated with me. 
that talked about the fact that this is why you see a lot of temple symbology in sukkah decorations, because it reminds us of the mishkan, of the tabernacle, and this is the, the, the temporary dwelling of the permanent that is to come. Okay, and so Moses was commanded in Exodus chapter 26, verse 30. It says this. God was commanding Moses as to how he was going to make the tabernacle. And in, 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 and in particular, uh, the, the parochet, uh, the curtain that would be in front of the Holy of Holies. Verse 30. You were to raise up the tabernacle according to the plan which you were shown on the mountain. Make a fine woven linen curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet with cherubim. Cherubim are cherubs. But it's not cherubs like people think of that are like little babies, cupid things. That's not. They were typically animals with wings, these angelic style beings. They were guardians. Uh, and, and so it is to be a work of a skilled craftsman. The parochet, or curtain, was celebrating the holy place from the holy of holies. And it's interesting because we read in verse 31 very specific instructions about this uh, parochet, this curtain, that is to go in between the holy place and the holy of holies. And to represent this curtain, the Moroccan rabbi shared in his article that in his in the legacy of his Sephardic family tradition, they would always put on the sides of their sukkah large swaths of material of blue, purple, and scarlet-covered fabric. Blue, purple, and scarlet-covered fabric. And in, in doing so, it even further reminded us of the Mishkan and the fact that we long to dwell again with God. And we see here today our fabric that, that we have put up. I just think it's so beautiful. I thank my, my lovely wife, our Rebison, for, for putting this all together. It actually was a good bit of effort. With, with, you see with the colors here, which represents the, the parochet. It represents the curtain that stood between the holy place and the holy of holies. There were these three colors according to the word of God when the tabernacle was constructed. The purple, the blue, and the red or scarlet. And we can see, and, and, and they would have had these cherubim, these cherubs uh, on top of them. Some kind of imagery. We don't exactly know what it looked like. But there were these, this was what the curtain was that represented into the Holy of Holies. I thank her for putting this together. As she, it took her a lot of time. And these colors are meaningful. And as a side note, they're also the three colors. If you remember, we talk about it on the bottom of the high priest's robe as he would uh, enter into, uh, as, as part of his garb, if you will, that the, the pomegranates had the three colors in them, the blue, the scarlet, and the purple. The, the, they were in the pomegranates, in the form of pomegranates. You read this. What did they represent? It doesn't explicitly tell us, but it says in other places we can have some understanding. The blue represents the commands of God. It represents the word of God, the commands of the Lord. This, is, this was explicitly delineated with the techelet, the blue strand that's in the tzitzit. You know, in the tzitzit, there's supposed to be a blue strand 
This is representing the commands of the Lord. This is why, in fact, for many years, just as some trivia for you, for many years, they weren't sure as to the exact blue shade. And so because of that, the Orthodox stopped doing the blue and the, and the tzitzit in case your tzitzit and your talitot don't have a blue strand. You understand why. They didn't want to get the wrong color, so they didn't do it. But the scriptures don't say a specific color. It just says that it's the blue. And, and they believe that they found the, the, uh, the mollusk or the crustacean that, that produces this color anyway. But this is one of the reasons why a talit has a blue stripe in, in the prayer shawl part of it itself is to represent this. Okay, so the blue represents the commands, the commandments of the Lord. The scarlet represents blood, right? We know that's, that's part of the, of the tabernacle. That's part of the temple. It represents blood and the earth. In fact, the Hebrew word uh, that is used here for scarlet is the same root as earth. And then, of course, the purple represents the kingship or the royalty, the royalty of God. Purple was very, very, very profoundly expensive in ancient times to produce. And there's lots of other symbolism within this uh, that, that you could draw in as much as the purple is this, this combination of the blue and the red, which is also very, very interesting when it comes to potentially representing Messiah himself. So all of these reminders, all of these connections to the tabernacle and God dwelling with us on Sukkot all of these things and these connections, the Lord dwelling with us, all lead us to Yeshua. They all lead us completely and unequivocally to Yeshua. If you don't understand the history of all that, you won't understand so many of the New Covenant scriptures that allude to all this. John chapter 14, please. John chapter 14. It all leads us to our own Emmanuel. The, the psalmists earlier were singing, oh, Emmanuel, God with us. It means God with us. You see, that's what Emmanuel means, Emmanuel, God with us. We know that John chapter 1 tells us that the word became flesh and did what? Dwelt among us. The TLV says tabernacled among us. And Yeshua himself tells us in the book of John about what, about what will happen if we follow the Messiah. I, see, if you understand Sukkot, you can understand John chapter 14. If you don't understand Sukkot, John chapter 14 is, is nice and, and it's powerful in and of itself, but you don't get the full meaning of it. John chapter 14 verse 1 says this, Do not let your, Yeshua speaking, Do not let your heart be troubled, Trust in God, trust also in me, Yeshua says. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may also be. Skip down to verse 23 of the same chapter. And it says, Yeshua answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. I want to say that again. You can pull it back up on the screen. Verse 23, Yeshua answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him 
and make our dwelling with him. Oh my goodness. Ooh, this, this all relates. In my father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places. I come so that we will be together. Where I am, you will be also. So that we can dwell together. What is Yeshua doing here? He's talking about heaven, of course. But he's really alluding, and he's, and he's for, for, for anybody who is hearing this, at the time that Yeshua is speaking, his Jewish audience would have totally understand, he's really talking about this. He's talking, about the, he's talking about Sukkot. He's talking about the tabernacling together. God dwelling with man. It's a very, very powerful visual in understanding it because Yeshua is all about tabernacling with you. He wants to dwell with you forever. Yeshua, God himself, wants to dwell with you forever. This is part of... Of, of the original purpose. This was what the Garden of Eden was. Sukkot, by the way, is connected to the Garden of Eden, as is the temple. It's that dwelling with God. In the beginning, Bereshit's, God dwelt with man in Gan Eden, in the, in the Garden of Eden. And then, God dwelt with man in the temple, in the tabernacle, which we're reminded of by the Sukkot, by our sukkahs that we have, by the holiday of Sukkot, by all these other things that we're talking about here. And then Yeshua comes and says, no, my friends, I've come to dwell with you. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and I want to dwell with you forever. In my Father's house are many mansions. You see? You see the fullness of it? You see the connection of it? My friends, Passover's fullness is through Yeshua being the Passover lamb shed for us and whose blood, the angel of death, with his blood, the angel of death passes over us. The giving of the Torah on Shavuot, that's fullness, is in the giving of the Ruach HaKodesh. And then what? And then there's a long gap until we come to Yom Teruah, which is represented by the shofar blow when Yeshua returns, an unfulfilled holiday, which is followed very immediately by Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur's fullness is the day of judgment, which promptly follows Yeshua's return when we will all be judged. And finally, also yet to come, finally, the final holiday, Sukkot. Sukkot's fullness is when the Lord dwells with us eternally. That is also yet to come. That's, that's the eternity with God. That is what Sukkot represents, is dwelling with us for eternity. And the great thing about it, wow, this is just amazing how it works this way. The great thing about it is that we read explicitly in Zechariah chapter 14 in the Tanakh, explicitly that all nations will be required to celebrate Sukkot in Jerusalem one day. All nations, not just the Jewish people, all Gentiles, read Zechariah 14, all Gentiles 
will be required to celebrate Sukkot as well. Not just the Jewish people. See, Sukkot is God dwelling with us all, Jew and Gentile, if we have the atonements. We see in this the whole fullness and the fulfillment, the whole picture of Yeshua, the picture of salvation, the picture of the plan of the world comes together in Sukkot. Absolutely amazing. So if you're not Jewish by birth, Sukkot is specifically also for you. In every way, shape, or form, if you're watching online, you come from a Christian background, some kind of non-Jewish background. Yes, Sukkot is very much for you, according to the Word of God in Zechariah chapter 14, because God wants to dwell with all of us. He loves us all. And we read the final word about what is to come toward the end of Revelation. Read, check this out. It just puts it in a bow tie. Revelation chapter 21, please. Revelation chapter 21, next to last chapter of the Bible. Revelation 21, listen to these words, and it absolutely is amazing how clear it is once you have all this other understanding about exactly what it's talking about here. Mm. This dwelling together. Revelation 21 verse 1 says this. This is about that which is to come. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I also heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is among men. And he shall tabernacle among them. They shall be his people. And God himself shall be among them and be their God. He shall wipe every tear away from their eyes and death shall be no more. Nor shall there be mourning or crying or pain any longer for the former things have passed away. Wow. Woo. Woo. You getting this, friends? The dwelling of God is among men. That which is temporary. The sukkah, the sukkot are supposed to be temporary dwellings. That which is temporary will pass away and it will be permanently replaced as the temple replaced the, the, the tabernacle. God, it says, will tabernacle among us. So sukkot's, and the sukkah itself really represents a time which is yet to come. A time when God dwells with us. That is absolutely beautiful. Sukkot is amazing because it foreshadows our future. It's the temple. But even better, it's Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden. But even better. Because in Matthew 27, the curtain which provided access to the Holy of Holies and symbolized Yeshua was rent in two. And we dwell with him forever. The title of my message is Dwell with God. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Lord. Mm.
excited about dwelling with the Lord, and wow, amazing, amazing. Sukkot came even more alive for me this year than ever before. Lord God, uh, in the name of Yeshua, thank you for your revelation, which blessed my socks off this year. God, I, I, I want to ask if there's anybody here who's never said a prayer to receive Yeshua into your heart. You've never made a commitment to follow Yeshua, but you'd like to wave your hand at me and we'll have a simple prayer. If that's you and you've never done that before but want to, if that's you, just wave your hand at me. And if you're watching online, just repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear God, I accept Yeshua into my heart. I believe he's risen again, sitting at your right hand. Thank you, God. Please forgive me of my sins. I'll live the rest of my days for you. Thank you, Lord. If you said that prayer for the first time, please see me after this service. Or if you're watching online, listening on podcast, toss us an email so that we can celebrate with you. But wow, friends, Sukkot. We, thank, thankfully, we're just at day one here. We got seven days plus Shemini at Sarah at the eighth day. We've got eight days to enjoy this remembrance and to focus on dwelling with God. So if you have a sukkah, man, if you built it in the rain or if you got it done over the weekend at some point, good for you, then you enjoy And When you go in your sukkah, I want you to remember that what this represents in part is, is your future of dwelling with God. And you know when you have friends come over to your sukkah, it's like the Lord is inviting us to his sukkah up in the sky. That's what he's inviting us to. Wow. It's so clear, all this, the symbols of everything. And so you enjoy that. And if you do not have a sukkah, it doesn't matter. You remember that God wants to dwell with you. God wants you to dwell with him. And the great thing is, is that if you have Yeshua as your Messiah, God is dwelling within you. His ruach is within you, as we read about. Yeshua is with you, and you are already dwelling with him only to be followed by eternity with him. Mm. Thank you, Lord, for this. I hope this encourages you. I hope this, Lord, let this encourage everybody as to how everything is connected in a way that, wow, it was a wow moment for me as as everything kind of came together. Thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you for your desire to dwell with us, even though we don't deserve it in any way, shape, or form. We love you, God, and bless you for the special Sukkot. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin. Please like, subscribe, and share this link with a friend. We would be grateful to receive your tax-deductible gift to further the good news of Messiah Yeshua. To make a contribution, please click on the PayPal link in the description. Also, to view our regular services, click the link in the description for our YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Yeshua the Messiah or how you can become part of our Bethlehem family, please visit our website at www.bethlehem.org. That's B-E-T-H-H-A-L-L-E-L.org or call 770-641-3000. If you are in the metro Atlanta area, please visit us for an Arab Shabbat service, Friday nights at 8 o'clock, or Shabbat services, 
Saturday mornings at 11. God bless and shalom. Nine, 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 nine.